specifically around baptism, there are lots of different points of confusion and points of kind of disconnect between different people and different denominations. And here's what I mean by that. For many of you, you were raised in a church where you baptized infants, where, you know, kids that were born sometime between, you know, day, you know, two practically in year two, you know, you had some kind of a dedication and everybody wore this white, you know, thing and then the baby kind of got sprinkled because you don't want to dunk a baby. That's probably child abuse. And, and you, you raised in that kind of tradition. For some of us, we were raised in a tradition where, you know, you had baby dedications, you didn't have baby baptisms. For some of us, um, you were raised perhaps in a tradition where there was some kind of a, a special spiritual thing that happened when someone who was a believer got baptized. You know, they, they told you something along these lines, that when you get baptized or not until you get baptized, do you actually receive the Holy Spirit? For some of us, we were raised in um, um, traditions where it was a little bit confusing because someone made the argument at some point because the New Testament is very, very close in association that in order to be saved, actually... You've got to be baptized. And so for many of us, we are familiar with the idea of baptism. We don't know a lot about where. We don't know a lot about who. And especially the why behind all of that stuff. And so essentially what I want to do today is to give you the why and the what behind baptism. To give you the why and the what behind baptism. Now to get there, to get us all there on the same page... um, one of the things that I think is the most interesting about that, or about baptism in and of itself, is it seems like, you know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 commanded everybody, he says, so go therefore, you know, all authority and power on earth, or in heaven on earth, has been given to me, so go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In other words, Jesus is talking to his disciples for the very last time. And he says, so here's what I want you to do with all the information I've given you. I want you to go to make disciples, and here's what I want you to do next. Baptize them. And then name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've commanded you to do. Now, here's what's interesting and significant about that. Jesus, in his last two lines that he had on planet Earth, mentions making disciples, in other words, having people come to know him as their Lord and Savior, people who don't believe in Jesus, coming to faith, coming to belief that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And on the other end of that, he says, I want you to teach them everything. I want, you, I want them to know all about me. I want them to know all my teachings. And in the middle of that wedges this idea of baptism. And if we're being honest, we oftentimes think baptism is important but not last two lines on planet Earth important. We think baptism is significant, but we don't think about it in the context that if I had two lines, three things to give you before, I want you to imagine you're on your deathbed, you're speaking to your people, you're speaking to your family, you're speaking to the people who are going to surpass you for generations to come. And you have one thing left to say. Whatever you said in that last sentence or two would be of extraordinary importance. And for us, we see importance, but more so we see tradition. So why in the world would God, in his last few moments on earth, give us instructions to be baptized? Why in the world is it that critical to our relationship with God? Again, he wouldn't have just wasted words. In fact, he wouldn't have spent time in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and all the epistles going forward. They wouldn't have spent time talking about baptism if it wasn't actually critical and important to our relationship with God. So why in the world is baptism that important? Because there's a lot of cloudiness, and it seems like there's a huge de-emphasization placed on baptism. Now, just kind of overarching idea. 
Again, God wouldn't give you something to do with that much importance if it wasn't critical to your relationship with God. But to understand or to begin to understand the importance of baptism is to understand a kind of a, an, an easy central point. When the Bible talks about a relationship with God, they don't really use those terms. I don't know if you've realized that or not as you've read through. A lot of pastors, it's kind of a new way to phrase our, you know, our, our relationship with God is to say it's a relationship with God because in, in some context it is a relationship with God. But in the Bible... They used a different word besides relationship. In fact, it was a relational idea, but it was different than that. And so to kick us off, um, we're going to go over what exactly the Bible kind of defines as a relationship with God. Now, we've got a little handy-dandy screen here, and it's just because I'm going to refer to it a good amount. By the way, this is going to be an informational-heavy uh, Sunday. So if you're here and you're like, man, I'm a Bible nerd. I love going deep, you know, a.k.a. I love to be confused, and I feel like I'm spiritual because of it. This is your Sunday, okay? So on the other end of that, if this whole thing is confusing again, you should come back next Sunday. It's going to be very clear, I promise. All right, so, so how the Bible would define a relationship or how it would phrase a relationship with God is with one word. It's called a covenant. A covenant. Now, here's kind of an easy definition of a covenant. A covenant is a binding relationship with blessings and obligations. Covenant, and actually there's a guy um, named, named Ligon Duncan who, who is uh, just way, way, way more brilliant guy than I am. In fact, pretty much everything I talk about, other people have already said. I just say it a little bit differently. Side note. A covenant is a binding relationship with blessings and obligations. In other words, the way that the Bible would describe our relationship with God is not simply through the context of a relationship. They wouldn't just say a relationship with God. They would say a covenantal relationship. They would say there is a peace that this is a binding relationship. It's a binding relationship between us and between God. And in that, there are blessings. In other words, there's going to be some benefit for you. There's going to be some benefit for me, truthfully. There's not a ton of benefit that we add to God, but there are blessings. And there are obligations that are a part of this relationship. Now, I want to take you to unpack this a little bit to the very beginning of how that all happened. Now, here's the one thing you got to know as it relates to baptism before we really hop into it. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 17 in a minute. Alongside of the covenant, there were what was called a covenantal sign. In other words, there were signs that would display our relationship with God throughout the Bible. There were covenantal signs that would display our relationship with God throughout the Bible. And, And here's what we're going to find out. In fact, we're going to have this one up. Covenantal signs are a seal and a physical reminder to give us, now this is kind of the, the thing to really remember throughout this whole sermon, are a seal and a physical reminder to give us assurance in our invisible relationship with God. In other words, the purpose of a covenant was to define the parameters of our relationship with God, and God would realize this is an invisible relationship. This is something that you can't see, you can't touch, you can't feel. Our relationship with God is intangible. We can't go after church and sit down at Sonny's or Zaxby's or, you know, we pray that Chick-fil-A will someday open on Sunday so we could sit down there. But you can't sit down with God and have a physical conversation and look him eye to eye. And so what God would do throughout the scriptures is he would give us signs. He would give us signs that are a seal and a physical reminder. In other words... I know I'm intangible, but I want to give you something physical. And here's why. I want you to have assurance. Because God knows inevitably what we all know. In an intangible, invisible relationship with God, sometimes we question. Sometimes we wonder. Sometimes we don't know why. Sometimes we don't know which way is up. Sometimes we don't know which way is down. Sometimes we don't know if God is even real. So he would give us a physical reminder to give us assurance of our invisible relationship with him. 
So I want to take us to the very first time. No, it's not the very first covenant, but it's the very first time that God really gives this direct physical sign to someone to say, here is your sign of our relationship. So if you've got your Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. To, to plop you in, we're going to actually jump around the, the Bible a decent amount today. Um, we're going to talk about where there's this guy named Abram um, who's about to be called Abraham. And many of you guys know Father Abraham. We do this every time I talk about Abraham. And I'm so sorry. It's so cheesy. But Father Abraham, just so we all remember, Father Abraham had many. Okay, he didn't at this point, but eventually Father, you know, many sons had Father. And I am. And so are. So let's all. You guys are fantastic. I tell you what. So this is before Abraham was Abraham when he was Abram, and God had promised, and he'd made a number of promises. In fact, God, in the first couple verses of, of uh, Genesis chapter 17, God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, let me, in chapter verse 1, remind you of who I am. And then about 2 through 7, he says, let me tell you and remind you of the promises of the covenant that we have, of the promises of the relationship we have, of the promises of what I have said that you're going to have you know, land, you're going to have heirs, you're going to have children, you're going to have all of this stuff. And in verse 9, he turns and says, okay, but Abraham, here's what you are required. Here is your part in this whole thing. Verse 9. And God said to Abraham, he says, as for you, You shall keep my covenant and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, your offspring, after you. That every male among you shall be circumcised. In other words, this is is maybe not fascinating to you, but fascinating to me. In verse 10, he says, so this is the covenant. Circumcision is the covenant to which many of us kind of could potentially get a little bit weird over because it's saying, okay, well, I thought our relationship with God wasn't based off what we did. I thought our relationship with God was completely based off God's goodness, not my merit, and that's true. In verse 11, he digs a little deeper and says, here's here's the connection. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. By the way, I'm not going to define circumcision. I think we're all adults. And it shall be It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And in fact, this sign was so extraordinarily strong. In verse 14, he makes this connection that almost is to say, if you are to not accept the sign, you might as well not accept the covenant. This, the, the sign wasn't a condition, but the sign was a part of the assurance of the covenant. In fact, he says in verse 14, Any circumcision or any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from, his, from my people or from his people because he has broken my covenant. Now, Again, verse 11, as it talks about this being a sign. Here, here's what you have to know about covenantal signs. In fact, we got a handy-dandy slide to just illuminate this idea. As he's talking about the importance of it. This is what he says, or this is kind of the idea. Circumcision didn't bring people into the covenant. It was confirmation of their standing in the covenant. In other words, there was nothing special, there was nothing magical about this idea of circumcision. Circumcision in the Old Testament did not bring people salvation. Faith 
Righteousness through faith brought people salvation. But there was such a connection that perhaps people could be confused to think that this idea of circumcision would bring you salvation. That there was something intrinsically spiritual, intrinsically supernatural, and almost like a magical idea. That circumcision could do something. But in verse 11, again, he says, as as, as he explains it, he says, it shall be a sign. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. In other words, the point of circumcision was for a group of people who had questions, who had thoughts, who had ideas, and would sometimes wander from God. It was for them to be a physical reminder of this tangible sign to represent the intangible relationship with God. In fact, what's interesting, if you read on a couple of verses later, Abraham at this point in his life is 99 years old. And God has visited him multiple times. I mean, decade after decade, God has come to him and said, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. And Abraham would hear it and hear it and say, I believe, I believe, I believe. And even after all this, I want you to see Abraham's response. In verse 17, this tells us where Abraham was in his faith. Then, after kind of God got done speaking, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? Now, probably a poor strategic you know, decision for Abraham to disclose his wife's age, especially as she's getting older. But he said, come on, come on, God, let, let, let's be honest. Let's be honest. She is old at this point. I am old at this point. We are draw. We, are, you know, we're dried up. This is just, it just doesn't make sense. And this is how you know Abraham was at the end of his rope. This is, this, this is fascinating in verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. For those of you guys who know the backstory to this, Abraham kind of got desperate and he had a, had a son with one of his servants. And Abraham was so desperate for the realization of the promise of God that he took something that seemed close enough to the fulfillment of that promise. This is the dangerous spot for us. Because there are times when we know and we feel and we are called to as Christians something. You know what God has for you. You know who God has for you. You know the type of person that God has for you. You know the, the, the type of, of career path. You know the type of you know, vocation that God has called you to. And you feel like it's almost as strong as if God has called you to it. And it's difficult because God is invisible. And sometimes we question our relationship. Sometimes we question the promises of God. And God saw that and realized that. And Abraham's at the time basically saying, you know, come on, God. Let's just make Ishmael enough. Let's just say that Ishmael is good enough. Let's just take what you promised and just kind of dwarf it down into what we think is good enough to fulfill the promises of God. But... God gave Abraham a sign that was to be a reminder of the seal, that was to be a reminder, a physical reminder of the relationship with him. You see, throughout the Old Testament, this covenant idea, this relational idea, this this obligation, this binding relationship with blessings and curses would go forward. There would be other people, Noah would build on it, David would build on it. There'd be a number of people who would build on this idea and expand the, the, the boundaries and the parameters of this relationship with God. And Jeremiah 
was one of the clearest people. In Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah prophesies. This is, you know, years and years before Jesus ever sets foot on the screen. Jeremiah prophesies and makes a prophecy about God and said, there at some point is going to be a new covenant. There at some point is going to be a new covenant, a new relational dynamic, a new relational setup between God and man. If you've got your Bible, you can flip over to Jeremiah chapter 31, where Jeremiah doesn't just simply foreshadow, he prophesies about what's going to happen. Jeremiah 31 Verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like, in other words, it's going to be new, but it's going to have different ideas, different parameters, different boundaries. Not like the old one. Not like the covenant that, that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now this is fascinating. This decades, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, hundreds and hundreds of years before the writers of the New Testament would unpack this idea of covenant. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. In other words, it's not going to be a communal thing. It's not just going to be for the Jews. They all are going to come to know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity or their sin. And I will remember their sin. In other words, God would say, Come here. I'm going to give you a new covenant. I'm going to give you a new covenant. I'm going to give you a brand new relational parameter between our relationship. I'm going to give you a brand new context. I'm going to give us a brand new agreement. That it's not about what it was about. It wasn't about you know, trying to fulfill the law. It wasn't about trying to you know, get on God's good side and get God's favor. I'm going to give you a new relational dynamic between me and you. And it's going to be defined by the fact that it's for everyone and anyone. That no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter how smart or unsmart you are, just like dumb's kind of offensive, so you know how much smart or unsmart you are, no matter how much money you make, no matter how little money you make, no matter your religious background, in fact, no matter your sinful background, because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that each one will be able to know me, each one will know me. And I will forgive their sins. And Jesus, right before he died, in Matthew chapter 26, declares this new covenant is here. Now as they were eating, Jesus is about to die. He's about to be crucified. Now as they were eating, verse 26 of Matthew 26, Jesus took bread and blessing. And after blessing, it broke. Broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. And if you have a Bible, it has a little asterisk in there. And it says, Many translations say, This is my blood of the new covenant. In other words, the relationship with God that Jeremiah talked about, that Jeremiah said, God's going to have a new division, a new relationship, a new covenant with you, is now here. And what we would come to know, what we would come to understand, 
is that the definition or how that relationship would be defined was simple. That there were obligations and there were blessings. But the obligations was almost unilaterally on God's part. That God sent his son into the world. That in God, in Jesus, the fullness of the deity of God dwelt. God came down to planet earth for the singular purpose. To say, I am dividing and I am describing and I am declaring a new relationship with you. And the parameters of this relationship are going to be simple. You're sinful, and I'm sinful. Well, Jesus wouldn't say I'm sinful, but you know, just disclosure, I'm sinful. And in your sinfulness, in your sinfulness, you can't earn your way into God's good graces. And so how this relationship is going to work out is I'm going to send my son, and he's going to live a holy and a perfect life, blameless, spotless, without fault, without sin. And he's going to give teachings that illuminate who God was or who God is. And he would perform miracles because some of his teachings were just so outrageous that if he just gave his teachings, some of his, his, his sermons were truthfully to their audience probably in many, many ways just unbearable to hear. But then he would do these amazing and miraculous miracles that were just inexplicable. And then he would die on the cross, which no one saw coming because who would foresee God dying? Even though there was prophecies in the Old Testament about it, no one saw it, no one expected it. And on the cross, Jesus took on the sin of the entire world and the entire world that would come. That what we believe is that the definition or the parameters of this new relationship, of this new covenant with God, is that our sin was made right. Our sin was accounted for. For us who acknowledge that we're sinful, who acknowledge that we need a Savior, for us who place our faith, our hope, and our trust in the sacrifice that was made, when Jesus died, he bore the sin and the judgment and the wrath of God that we should have taken and developed a new covenant that we enter into Not by doing, simply by believing. Simply by acknowledging. Simply by professing our faith, our belief, and our hope that when Jesus died on the cross, that was, and he was, the sacrificial lamb. He was the cause. He was the one. He was the person. The only person who could die for my sin. And so this new relationship, this new covenant, Jesus' blood and body broken, would be a covenant. Would be the parameters of a relationship, but in the same way that God would in the Old Testament. Give us signs of the invisible relationship with God for our assurance because he knew inevitably we are people and we are the same that people have always been. Which is to say, there are times in your life, there are times in my life when things aren't going well, there are times in all of our lives when life gets tough, when life gets difficult, when tragedy happens, when whatever happens, 
You don't think life's panning out the way that you thought was going to pan out. And we question and say, is God even there? Is God even real? Does God even care? And it's so difficult because we're sitting there trying to talk to, trying to pray to, trying to read about an invisible God. And so it's almost like God, well, obviously he does understand human nature and would see into this thought that we have and say, I'm going to give you a physical sign. In fact, there's a couple in the New Testament that was specifically with baptism. I'm going to give you a physical sign. I am going to give you a covenantal sign that will be like circumcision, but will give you Assurance of the intangible, invisible relationship with your Heavenly Father. In fact, Paul makes this connection in the book of Colossians really well. Colossians chapter 2. He defines in verse 9 who we're talking about. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. He says, for in him the wholeness or the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, for in Jesus the fullness of God dwells. And you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, watch this connection that he laces between circumcision and baptism. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, hey, here's how this looks in the New Testament context. In the same way that people were were circumcised in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it's the same idea that there is a putting off of, but it's not a circumcision of, you know, really, really difficult, painful parts to circumcise. This is a circumcision of the heart where you put off the old self, where the old self is put away. And that happens in Christ, that the old part is put away. Having been buried, verse 12, with him in baptism. In other words, and when you're baptized, this is like when you were circumcised. When you're baptized, this is a covenantal sign. When you're baptized, it is like you are being buried with Christ, that your old life is being buried with Christ. Your old sin was being buried with Christ. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, and when you're baptized, it's like this physical reminder of the fact that when you go under the water, it's like you are being buried with Christ. In the same way that Christ died, in the same way that Christ's bodily form died and went down and was buried and he was in the tomb, the same thing happens. The same symbolism happens. The same representation happens. And the same physical reminder happens for us when we are baptized. And when you come back, it's like you're raised in newness of life. Now, let me kind of make a couple points, and I've got like five more verses that I'm not going to be able to get to. So let me just kind of clear this whole thing up and tell you the bottom line of it. Number one, number one is this. The reason that I think God puts such an extraordinary emphasis in, this, in, the, in his great commission Final couple sentences is because God knew what we know was that our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are tempted to wander from God. Our hearts are tempted to question because it is so intangible and invisible. But he said, in the same way I gave my people way back in the day physical reminders 
of our covenantal relationship, covenantal signs of our covenantal relationship. I want to give you a physical reminder. And what's interesting is in the New Testament, we get kind of, you know, weary and, and, and confused. Because we start seeing how baptism is so, close to, so closely associated with salvation. In the same way in the Old Testament with, with, with circumcision. He would say, hey, here's the deal. We're in a covenantal relationship. So if we're in a relationship with each other, why in the world? Why in the world would you not take the sign of the relationship? It doesn't make sense that you would say, I want this relationship, but I don't want the sign because the sign was meant to supplement the relationship. The sign was meant to help the relationship. The sign was meant to give assurance to the relationship. So to say, I don't want the sign would almost like be the same thing as saying, I don't want the relationship. That there is an extraordinary close that doesn't mean that baptism brings you salvation. That just means that to have salvation without baptism doesn't really make sense. Now, we don't have time, and I would absolutely love to. In fact, I was preparing for this thing, and I was like, man, I could, we could do like a whole series on baptism. But no one would come back, and everybody would be bored about how that makes sense with old people and young people, you know, kids and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we'll post some stuff online about it. Who knows? But here's the point. Here's the point. To have one without the other just doesn't really make sense. Because it was meant to give assurance to our relationship with God. I'll end with this story. I was talking to someone recently who got baptized. They didn't get baptized just just too terribly recently, but I was talking to somebody who got baptized. They're having a lot of trouble, a lot of of issues, a lot of things going on, some tragedy that happened. And as they were talking about it, they said, you know, I just can't help but question and wonder and think. Is God there? Is God listening? Does he care? And the extraordinary thing was, we were able to look at her baptism. To look at baptism and say, let me just tell you. What you're feeling right now is natural. What you're feeling right now is normal. But baptism for you is a stake in the ground. Baptism for you is a way to validate, to verify. It's not doesn't mean that, that, that that's how you get in the club, but it's like the insignia that you are in the club of the Christian covenantal community. And when you feel that sense of, is God there? When you feel that sense of, I don't know, the purpose and the point, or part of the purpose and part of the point of baptism was to give you assurance. A physical, tangible assurance behind this invisible, intangible relationship with God. So, all that to say this. If you're in here, some of you, you've been baptized, some of you are baptized as babies, we don't think that that's, you know, we don't think that that's, you know, insignificant, we don't think that that's, you know, just insufficient in any way. But for some of you, You've given your life to Jesus. You've given your life to Jesus. And for you, it's a personal decision. And you maybe want to come on top of or alongside when you were baptized when you were young. Or maybe you've never been baptized before. But this is, let me just tell you, this is the or one of the predominant ways that God reminds us of his goodness and his faithfulness in our times of doubt is to look back at the physical, tangible reminder. And so if at, I, this, during this semester, 
perhaps sometime in the last couple years, whatever it is, you have decided that this relationship with God that you are going to enter into, that you, in the way we probably said at the time, was that you want a relationship with God. You want a relationship with Jesus. You want forgiveness. You want love. You want acceptance. You want all those things. And you made that decision. What you didn't realize is you were saying, I want into the covenant. And I think it is just so extraordinarily important for us to take the sign that goes with the covenant because we inevitably go through times of questioning. In fact, I'll end with this, and I really am running out of time. I'm not going to read the whole verse. Acts chapter 2, Peter gives this big sermon. First sermon ever. Pentecost happens. Holy Spirit comes down. They're all talking in different languages. It's kind of like a football game because somebody just yells out, are they drunk? You know, they're all different languages and stuff going on. So Peter gives this incredible sermon. He's, you know, spouting off prophet after prophet. He's like the pastor that just has a thousand different Bible verses memorized. And he's just going, 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 going. And it's funny because at the end of it, about verse 37, it stops and, and <laughs> it says, they heard this and they were all cut to the core. But their question is, so what do we do? <laughs> This is how you know the church was first started, because he's like, I don't know. You know, they didn't have an altar call. They didn't have a thing to go off of. They didn't have a, okay, so this is what you go and do. And so this was what Peter's response was. I want you to repent and be baptized. I want you to repent and be baptized. I want you to repent and acknowledge Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then I want you to take the sign that when Peter stood in front of the first congregation to ever give their life for Jesus, his say, so this is what you now do with your salvation. This is how extraordinarily important it is that I want you to repent, accept Jesus, and I want you to take the sign of the covenant that you have now entered into. So as you leave today, here's the, here's the take home for this. As you leave today, some of you, it's just interesting information. You're like, cool. All right, I'm going to go to Sunny's afterwards. But for, for, for a lot of you, when you walked in, you got a little card that had some, some stuff on it. We wanted to present an easy way for you guys, if you wanted to get baptized, to get baptized. If you have entered into the covenantal relationship with God, but have not taken the sign of that covenantal relationship with God, we want to provide that opportunity for you. We do it at the end of the semester. We'll do it all on a Sunday. We'll probably, depends on how many people sign up, I suppose. But here's all you got to do. Take the card that you're already given, fill it out. As you walk out the door on the right, there is a new, uh, there's a connections tent. Just drop it in the basket, the connections tent. That's all you got to do, and we'll do all the follow-up work. Because here's what we want to do. We think it's so important. We wanted to put as little, as little, as little work on you to follow through with this covenantal sign as possible. We want to take every opportunity to help you to enter in and to walk into not just the new covenant, but to take the blessings along with the covenant. And one of those blessings is the sign of the covenant to give us assurance because we all go through times where we need assurance of this intangible, invisible relationship. So let's pray together.